0: They offer free shipping on all boots as well as free returns and exchanges and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today.
1: Welcome to the Whiskey and Tales podcast, the podcast for those that love good whiskey and the great outdoors. As always, I'm your host, Gus, and Matt is not here for the recording of this intro. He is currently on assignment, but as always, thank you to our Patreons for their support. and Thank you to the Waypoint Network for their partnership as well. As always, remember, you can use code podcast to get 20% off at whiskeyandwhitetails.com. For this week's episode, we sit down and share a few whiskeys with Jr. and Juan from Operation Patriots Fob or OpFob, as it is often referred. We discuss the organization's mission in supporting veterans and their families, as well as events and programs they organize and support to do whatever they can to help end the suicide epidemic plaguing the veteran community. This episode gets a little heavy at times, but the information and insight are invaluable. So, to learn more about the OpFob organization, the great work they're doing, and how you can help or receive the help that you might need, check out the rest of the episode.
2: started um i guess we'll go around the room i'm matt i'm
3: gus <laughs> i am jr
2: and i am Juan. Juan. we're over here at how do you say op fob or do you say the whole thing
3: so when i talk to people i usually say op fob but yeah operation patriots fob um
2: op fob yep that's what i say Mm-hmm. And then I, then I have to, you, luckily it's one of those things you can Google and it comes up like it's you and mm-hmm. you know, some people say stuff and you Google it and you're like, shit, I have no idea. I can't find it. <laughs> yeah. No, I pop comes up real quick,
1: right, right at the top.
2: So it's a beautiful place. I haven't been out here until today. Yeah, I guess either. Yeah, no, it's, it's awesome out here. You've been telling me to come out here for uh, like almost two years now mm-hmm. and uh, maybe a year and a half. Anyway, so I finally made it out here, and it's wonderful. It's very peaceful. I liked all the live oaks. The property's nice. I heard these people don't like you too much, but
3: that's what (laughs) Alex said. Oh, really? (laughs) Um, No, most of the neighbors around here really embrace what we're doing. That's good. Where we, we when you pull in the front gate right there though you see that it's like a, a residential community right there. We've got a couple naysayers there, but I don't care where you go or what you do, you're not going to appease everybody. When we have our big concert out here every year, we go door to door and give everybody free tickets to come to the concert, nice. and you know just try to be neighborly. But you always have those couple. Yeah. Um, but the community as a whole, the town of Ridgeland, Jasper County, has really embraced us, and they're happy to have in their backyard what we're doing for our nation's heroes.
2: Yeah. It's a way bigger operation too than I, I think it looks like from the outside. Just seeing you, you, got a ton of supporters, man. It's like, there's a bunch of people here today for the bonfire lighting.
3: Oh yeah. We had, um, yeah, we did, we had a good turnout, um, last month or I guess two months ago, March, it was the 50th anniversary of all combat troops leaving Vietnam. And we had a big celebration for them. We had over 500 people here uh, right at the flagpole. We had General Boomer down here uh, and General Fig Newton, who's actually from this area. Uh, He'd be a guide for you guys to get on. Uh, African-American guy, grew up poor as can be right here in in Jasper County, which is one of the most economically depressed counties in the state, and ended up going to college, became the first black guy to ever fly a— a thunderbird oh, he's oh, got shit. over 290 missions in vietnam north vietnam wow. uh, cambodia all kinds of stuff rose all the way to a four star general Jeez. and i think he's like 84 now and he does not look like it he doesn't talk like it and i know he's still doing stuff for the government because they're keep flying him back and forth from the pentagon up there so but he's a great story a local legend down here
2: that's awesome man i'd love to talk to him yeah so, uh, this place uh, i went and walked around the flagpole and it's got you got like some in memory of Rick's out there and then you guys were offering like the tours around the facility, but I'm a, I'm a lonely walking kind of guy. So I I turned my little step meter on and and started stepping, but it's, it's, you got all like, I mean, there's a helicopter landing pad over there.
3: We do, man. And, and that's primarily for just safety. You know, we're heavily concentrated around shooting, uh, hunting, you know, a lot of uh, gun activities, if you will. Um, So I think I've got 37, RSOs um, you know we've got the HLZ out there we're just we're super safe out here safe as possible and if any, anything does ha- happen we're very prepared for it.
2: It's awesome And the 500 meter range I I need to bring my Bergera out here I've never shot that far with that thing and that'd be a lot of fun you have a ton of steel down there mm-hmm. which I like to do a little pistol stuff here and there.
3: Oh I like, love shooting ring and steel man mm-hmm. that instant gratification.
2: <laughs> That's it <laughs> and I just got into like the the dots. The red dots on it mm-hmm. um that's like cheating it is like, once I you get used anything. to it <laughs> yeah
3: in the beginning though i feel like i'm sitting there holding the gun down trying to find the sight. yep but once you get used to it and you pull it up as soon as you see that bing yeah it, it, it's like cheating
2: i put uh, suppressor sights on it so i can see so i, I can still find like the irons mm-hmm. so it's for me it's like irons but that green dot is so bright and it's gotten to me where like both eyes open I can run through really good now. And it, I mean, it didn't take too long, but you're right. It took a lot of practice to get in there because when I first got it, you know, just drive around the truck, I'll point it at the door and say, you know, I can't find it. It's pissing me off. I'm like, is the light off? But <laughs> Find the dot. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. You guys do events like that out here too.
3: We do a lot of shooting, yeah, um, and then Juan right here, and he can speak more to it, but we just started our own OpFob shooting team as well, mm. so what do we've got, uh, about 10 guys on the team now? About that, yeah. You guys had, what, seven, I think, compete down at the uh, Suis Ponte. Yeah, the Suis Ponte. Uh, that was, was a lot of fun, a lot of fun.
4: Where's that at? Uh, So, 17 South in Georgia, Okay, uh, just outside of uh, Fort Stewart, pretty much, um, Richmond Hill, I think it is.
3: Yeah, two-gun competition. Yep
4: pistol rifle um, had 10 stations I think and each one different Yeah, they even brought in a helicopter that they just took the body of the helicopter and put it on a lift and they'd lift you up oh, like wow. you were shooting up top and mm-hmm. you'd, you'd sit on this little wobble stool
2: <laughs> and you'd have to shoot <laughs> your targets moving. yeah <laughs> yep. that's pretty sick is there a lot of static electricity they put in there for you too <laughs> No no, no, they let no, that one out. no, no, that's my, the worst part. I wouldn't have been able to shoot. My beard would have went yeah. all in front of my eyes. Right. The uh, we sponsor a team to go to Snipers Unknown every year. If you have any long gun guys, you should go. It's in November this year. It's sick. You should go. We're
4: um, we're actually planning on doing another event. I believe it might be next month. A DMR event.
2: It's a it's a long range shooting. Mm-hmm. I think
4: about six to eight hundred yards is
2: what they were saying. This so this one was he did a standing shot at 600 yards and then it was like a it's a it's snipers unknown you have no idea but it's they're real scenarios from afghanistan and iraq and they put them into stages and so you run in there and you have no idea what you're doing you could come in and it's like figure it out we're not going to give you distances you know and you got to figure out your dope and everything and make sure you're right but it's uh it's wild to watch these guys come out but our favorite ones are they have a pistol in order to shoot your rifle one time you have to get like two or three pistol shots and if you miss you got to run back to the pistol shot and get two or three pistol shots and then come back and you get one round gotcha it's a, it's a lot of fun that sounds pretty awesome it's aggressive
1: where's uh, this
3: yeah. at what's the name of the competition
2: it's a, camp, a clinton house it's called sniper's
1: unknown sniper's unknown clinton house yeah it's at like the clinton house it's 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 cool because you get a lot of guys that you know they know it's a sniper's unknown so they focus on on the long gun right but then they purposely throw these little real world scenarios in and guys are just not prepared, you know, like guy can, guy can, you know, drive a, you know, a thumbtack at 600 yards, but is having a hard time hitting, you know, a silhouette at 20 yards to earn that shot or four inch
2: steel at 20 yards. Yeah. And it, 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 it's rough. Um,
1: the first year, where where was that place? GTI? Is that that what it's called?
2: The Savannah, like the Savannah river site, the Mm -hmm. old one, the old nuclear, it was a nuclear dispositions facility or something.
1: There were some big boys that are used to going and just, you know, sitting at a bench and competing, yeah, and and they were having to actually up and move and run back and forth, and I, I thought somebody I was like, is there an AED nearby here? Because <laughs> one of these dudes is gonna kick. One of the one of the, <laughs> the phases
2: stages was like they throw a flashbang at you while you're sitting there, and you have to run out through smoke and engage targets, and then run through an alleyway and into a building, and there's a firing station in one spot and then one in the other spot. It's all standing, and you have to use your long gun and hit these targets at three four hundred meters, standing. So when after are we? Running. When are we gonna do this here at the FOB? Yeah. Well, I bet I, you he would uh, set up a course here. Oh, I bet he would. He's always looking for stuff like that. Yeah, yeah places to host we'll stuff. We'll make the connect. Yeah, make the That'd connection. Be pretty I, know, awesome.
3: I know Brett already has a course of fire. Like, our goal is to start ho- hosting some of these competitions here. Yeah, yeah. Uh, <sighs> it brings a, a lot of awareness. A lot of veterans are doing it in active duty anyways, um, so it works out perfect for everyone. I always
2: get cold chills when when things like that happen. Mm-hmm. I get cold chills easy. But,
3: well, and sorry. I don't know how spiritually you guys are, but we've got a saying out here, and it's there's no coincidences. Since we've started this thing, the good Lord has been in the driver's seat the entire time, and has brought people in and out of our lives uh, f- at the right time for the right reasons. And um, we we truly believe that good Lord is in the driver's seat and to make all these connections for sure. It's very true. Yeah.
2: There's something for sure that makes it. Yeah, I agree with you. The um, so the we. Yeah, so we kicked off today. I was going to say, we
1: talked about the fire, but we didn't really talk about, for the listeners, kind of what, what started today, if you want to kind of just maybe break down what was going on today and and what that's all about.
3: Absolutely. So, you know, as we all know in this room, um, but we're really trying to get out to the entire nation and our veteran community. You know, the suicide amongst our brothers and sisters is ridiculous right now. And so the first year that we had the FOB, this is our third annual one we just lit today. Uh, we had Ryan Rogers come down uh, and, and with the opening lighting of the fire ceremony. But for 22 days straight, 24-7, we bring in different veterans, different organizations, civilians to man a fire. And, you know, the first year we did it <coughs> – the first year we did it, we actually had family members and, and brothers and people that served with guys that they lost to suicide. And uh, at one point in time, you know, I looked over at the table, and what we would do is we'd take some of their basic info, their name, their rank, their service, you know, the, the dates that they were alive, maybe the dates they were in Iraq, Afghanistan, and then we'd throw the, the log on the fire and have a little ceremony and a moment of silence for them. And it just, it got so surreal. I mean, I remember looking over one time and there was like 30 or 40 logs there and it was just, you know, that's a 40 or 50 families that were affected, you know, by veteran suicide. And, um, So anyways, we don't really do that too much anymore because the last thing that my heart can't take it to look over and see a pallet full of just logs with names on them. So we do get people that'll call in and we'll dedicate a log, but you know, the whole, the whole purpose is just to raise awareness. You know, we do a lot of these different things. We get on social media, you know, let people know what we're doing down here. And there are resources out there and there are brothers out there that you can pick up the damn phone and call and talk to. There's no excuse to make a permanent decision to a temporary problem. Um, so we're out here just trying to get as loud as we can, spread the word as far as we can for 22 days, uh, about veteran suicide. And then what we want to do is what we do every year. We take that ambers from that fire on Memorial day. And we have another ceremony where we almost have like an Olympic torch, but we'll put it in like an ammo can or something like that. And I don't know if you made it down did, the past. Uh, yeah. You saw the huge. big bonfire. There's like trees, entire yeah. trees oh, yeah. inside that. Yeah, <laughs> We cut trees down for that. <laughs> And uh, so we have a little ceremony, we go down and then we light that thing on fire because there's a big difference between dying on the battlefield and then dying back at home. You know, Mm -hmm. uh, I don't, I think it affects us all the same uh, as being, you know, combat veterans, but we don't want to take away from the tribute and, 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 you know, the remembrance for the guys that we lost on the battlefield. So after these somber 22 days, which like I said, when I was speaking earlier, you know, it is somber, and we're trying to raise awareness. But we have a good time while we're doing it out here. We sit around the bonfire, have a couple of drinks, or, you know, just be in, BSing with like-minded individuals. But then on Memorial Day, we have a big party down there. We get a couple bounce houses. It's a family-friendly. Have a barbecue down there, have a few drinks, and tell some lies, tell some stories, and and remember our brothers.
2: And that's what they would have wanted anyway.
3: 100%. Yeah,
1: I was going to say there's not a, a person I can think of uh, who we would be here honoring that would want us. There anybody sitting around sulking over it? Just that not the way come it'd come be. So, it sounds awesome. Yeah,
2: we need to make it back for. I don't know what I'm doing for Memorial Day, but if I'm, I'm gonna try and make it down here for that. Please
1: do.
3: Well, and you guys are welcome. It's open door invitation, man. We've got every month we've got some kind of big event going on down here. So, you guys are more than welcome to come down for anything.
2: It seems like this place is almost big enough to be, you know, seven days a week.
3: Yeah. So right now we're appointment only, and that's only because of our staffing we don't have a true office space out here to check people in. And with the ranges hot and the hunting and everything out here, uh, we can't just have people rolling through the property. So I don't know if you were able to walk by or drive by. We've got a rendering for a lodge that we're going to kick off a capital campaign at some time. It'll be about 10 to 12,000 square foot lodge. So we'll actually have an office uh, uh, space in there, but we'll have um, uh, receptionists. They can actually check people in. Now, once we get to that point, then people are able to come in, check in, and then we can get a, a veteran liaison or whoever to meet up with them and then go take them to do the activities that they want to do. But for right now, everything's it goes through our veteran liaisons uh, and they get them scheduled to come out. The only standing thing that we have regularly is every Saturday we have coffee hour. Uh, from nine to ten, um, we do some announcements there, like you guys saw. We do some tours for the new people, and then we hop on the side by side, so give some tours, and then we go to the range. We open it up for everybody and go blow some shit up. Oh, nice! And and that's how we that's how we get people out here. You know, I used to say we were trying to build the Disneyland for veterans, but all, with all the <laughs> <laughs> politics and everything going on down there, I, I steer away from that. So now, now I say we're building a playground for veterans out here. You know, yeah, to provide things that most of us veterans like to do. And, um,
2: it could be the six flags for veterans. There we go. Yeah.
3: Six flags. You got to put six
2: flags up there. You could army, Marines, Navy, air force. Uh, That's it. And then you got a U.S. flag
3: and space force.
2: No, I said, that's it. (laughs) (laughs) No, I'm just kidding. Um, yeah, it could be six flags over veterans. That's what you're it. Yep. Yeah, I like it. I think I like the idea. Did you guys shoot
3: today? I didn't hear anything. No, so we didn't today just because of the yeah. ceremony that we had. I believe the team was out here uh, yesterday uh, practicing. Uh, some that. of them were
4: out here yesterday, yeah. Um, the ones that didn't have to work. But uh, I think they're trying to pop something off later today once all the ceremony stuff is over. I think they might try to go pump some lead, but...
2: Uh, I may have brought 100 we'll rounds of 9mm. I can't remember.
3: Well, I've got some toys that we can pull it's all you need. Too. I've yeah. got a... Uh, MPX uh, nine mil that I put a can on, the brass hitting the ground is louder than yeah <laughs> that gun going off. So.
2: Sick! I just bought a, a can for my, for one of the guns that I have. But the my FFL, he's an active duty Navy guy, and you ever you ever heard of Saucy Saucy Arms? It's it's so are we cool yet? Is what it stands for. But they do three uh, D printing guns. They're you know ghost guns, and everybody acts all stupid about it. But they three D print. Wild things like guns that look like dragons. Like one guy made one that's a bong, you can like it's the, like you smoke weed out of it and then shoot it. It's stupid. That's the it's the half baked gun, yeah, it's really dumb. The gun. But he makes a Mac 11, a fake Mac 11, and he's got an FFL, so it's all legit. Mm-hmm. And he's like, Yeah, anytime you want to shoot, he's got i got 10 15 full auto guns, you know, we can go. I should bring him out of here one day.
3: Yes, you should. It'd be fun. <laughs>
2: it would be fun. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm going with him next Wednesday because I want to shoot my can. I haven't shot the can yet. Mm-hmm. So I have, a, I have a silence 22 but you know it's 22.
3: Yeah, I've been fortunate uh about 2 years now I've been running cans and man I I don't I don't get the whole hoopla of, of the legality behind it man as an outdoorsman uh, man you know as a hunter as a shooter just to preserve my damn ears that's mm-hmm. all you know I'm not yeah. doing any drive bys or doing anything you know illegal with the damn thing um I think that we should be able to put them on all of our guns. You know, how many times you've been sitting in a deer stand and cracking off that 308 or that 708, and, man, your ears are just ringing for hours afterwards to have a little suppressor on there just to make it quiet to, enough. It doesn't yeah. kill mm-hmm. your ears. Yeah, absolutely.
2: Just to bring that clap down and then yep. – because everybody thinks that they're completely silent like James Bond. It's, nah. I'm surprised you have a, one, a 9 millimeter that's that quiet. Mm-hmm. Like, all the 9 millimeter cans I've shot where you can still 100% hear it. But we had – um. We went to a live fire school and it's night fire at night. So they have these like IR cans they put up and it's with, with goggles on. It looks like it's daylight everywhere. It's, 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 I've never seen that before. It is wild. Um, but the town didn't like it because they're shooting guns all night long. So they they went, they took them to court and they were like, well, here's the deal. We'll put suppressors on it. If we put suppressors on it, do you guys care? And they're like, if you put suppressors on it, we're good. You can shoot all night long till any hour. We don't care because they don't know how loud a five-five-six suppressed is. Mm-hmm. So they they end up buying cans for all this stuff. It's still just like just as loud. It's just not as ear piercing. But it's in a valley and it's wild, man. To sit out there and it's you know they're so pissed. <laughs> 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 yeah, no, cans are fun. Oh, yeah. How many acres do you have out here? Two hundred sixty-eight. Nice. Yep. And most of it is that way. I'm guessing where the all the deer stands are.
3: Yeah, down that way. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I'll give you an actual tour on the the side by side. I'm sure you didn't check out in the the back down, uh, down to the right part. But if you walked all the way behind the berm of the rifle and pistol range, did yeah, you I got a
2: I got a golf cart or a side by side track lesson there. Okay, yeah, yeah, from okay. Alex. Which yeah, is from fun. Was he eight?
3: <laughs> no, I think he's ten. Is he ten? I, mean, I think he's ten. I think he just he's. ripping around.
2: through there, and I'm like, I'm holding the the oh shit bar, and I'm like, <laughs> whatever, man, you know.
3: Yeah, <laughs> it's fun. No, he's a good kid. They're they're all good kids. Yeah, I like him. But that back power line right there, we've got the capability to go about 1,300 yards. We don't really advertise that that much. Um, we've got some different uh, law enforcement agencies to train out here, and every once in a while they'll pop back there and want to reach that long, long is it shot.
2: From where, those, where I saw those buses back there, is it that, that side, like the back entrance?
3: No. Uh, no uh, well, like yes, so from there is where you would shoot yeah. before you go down back there. And all the way down to the other end. I see. Yeah.
2: Okay. Yeah, over by the Dove Field. Yeah, the Dove Field. Yeah. I did. I walked that. I was looking for snakes. I didn't see any. Really? I know they're out here, but oh, I... oh, they're out here. Yeah. yeah. I just I saw the ducks. They're not nice.
3: No, they started charging you. Yeah, <laughs> that's that's because you didn't
4: have any crackers or bread or anything. <laughs> oh, is that what it was? Yeah. yeah.
2: I was like, oh, this is ugly. This is the ugly ducks. I don't remember what they're called. What kind of ducks are those really ugly ones?
1: Are those the the pecking ducks? The one that they? No, no, the-
2: no. Those are the big white ones. Uh, I don't know. These are like the ones with that weird shit on their face.
1: Yeah, they got all those lumpies. Oh, yeah. I don't know. Those are like, I call those farm ducks. Those are ducks yeah. you see around a farm in a pond. They never leave. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Every once in a while, a fox grabs one. They're just like fodder for the chickens so that the foxes don't grab to the chickens. It's <laughs> <That's laughs> <all they laughs> <are. laughs> funny.
2: So you're going to do this. So you're running guard. So the shifts, was it six? So four hour shifts. Is that what it is?
3: Yeah, so we do four-hour shifts. Um, this year, we just revamped our website, so we're able to do it through uh, our website for the scheduling. The first year we did it, you know, myself, Juan, and maybe a couple other people, we were out here for about 21 days of the 22 days. Uh, last year we got a lot more help, and then this year we've got even a lot more support. But again, we encourage people, even if somebody's on the list for a shift, that doesn't mean you can't come out. Yeah. You know, the goal is to get a bunch of people around the fire together. You know, especially in the middle of the night, you don't know, want to sit out there all by yourself. Um, you know, like I said, it's dark out there, right? It's, it's somber of what we're talking about, but we have a good time doing it. And that's what we really want to get across to, to guys, you know, that we can remember, we can educate, but we can do it and having fun at the same time.
2: Do you get the media involved at all to kind of promote any of it?
3: We do. We've got great partners with, uh, WTOC and WSAV down here. Um, W, uh, HHI, um, Yeah, we we get a lot of media support for different things. Um, Andrew Davis, he's a huge supporter of us. Uh, He's out of town this weekend or otherwise he was going to be up here as well.
2: That's awesome. Do you do other events during the next 22 days or it's mainly the fire?
3: No, so uh, this year we are doing a few different events. So next weekend we've got one of our partner organizations, Fight the War Within. Um, I'd love to get you guys to get uh, Miranda on here. She's got an amazing story. Uh, Her husband, Army Ranger. Uh, got back from Afghanistan two weeks after their daughter was born. He took his own life. Mm. She took all that pain and suffering and put all that motivation into starting her own organization so no other family had to go through what she did. And um, anyway, she's a big resource that we send a lot of people out to. And this year, through some connections we've uh, made up in Charleston, uh, Jason Bynum, uh, he's the vice president for um, Lennar Homes of the Southeast. Uh, we were able to gift and grant her a mortgage free brand new home this wow. year. Well, end of last year. Uh, we were just the kind of the conduit, the facilitator in um, Operation Finally Home, and Lennar Homes are the ones that funded it and built it. Uh, but they reached out hey, we need a veteran or somebody. I was like, I got somebody. She was living in a one-bedroom apartment shithole somewhere. And it's like, hey, if, if anybody we need to help, we need to help her out. So anyways, uh, they do a lot of different things. Um, they're not a one-stop shop, but they've got a lot of resources. So on uh, next Saturday, we're going to have a suicide intervention class that we're going to be putting on. So a lot of our volunteers and our staff are going to be going through it. <clears throat> The weekend after that, uh, it's Armed Forces Day. So we're going to have a big picnic out there, uh, barbecue, um, get a bunch of bounce houses for all the guys and the kids to hang out. And then where we sit right up here, there it's a it's a SAS class. And I don't know what that acronym s- stands for, but it's basically like uh, a female self-defense class um, where no males can be around or anything. So all the kids that are 15 and up and uh, female adults will be able to come out here for a couple hours and get a little class. Cool.
2: Who's um, teaching that?
3: assassin instructors. Huh. Yeah.
2: Are they females?
3: Yes. Mm-hmm. Apparently, they won't let any males, like, they don't even want them in, in eyesight. Mm-mm.
2: Probably that's uh, we don't know what's coming. Well, I mean, not me. <laughs> I would never need a girl to do that to right. me, but, uh, yeah, like mm-hmm. a secret society, like, no one's going to know. Mm-hmm. I'd imagine it's a lot of ball kicking. Probably. Yeah. yeah. Eye gouging, too. Yeah. I told my wife, I was like, nothing's, nothing's safe. Like, it's, Absolutely. the first thing you do is that and aim for the throat, because they can't fight you if they're fighting for air. And she was like,
3: uh-huh, I don't want to kill them. I'm like, yeah, you do.
2: <laughs> yeah, you do. Yeah, but that's a good one, eye gouging.
3: Well, I think my my wife went through one, you know, years and years ago, probably before we even met when she was growing up. And they do. They teach them, you know, different things like to urinate on themselves if somebody's trying to rape mm. them, you know, just anything to discourage, you know, yeah. the bad things that are getting ha- ready to happen. So for me, my, I've got two little girls. They're six and nine, and they do MMA twice a week. Nice. So they don't need a SAS class. They're going to punch a motherfucker right in the throat. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> they're going to know how to do it. Yeah.
2: That's good. That's good. So what's the main outreach for, like, the funds that are raised or donated? What's What's the main source that those go towards?
3: Uh, what you see out here. Obviously, yeah. our biggest nut is the uh, – so I, I own the property outright with a business partner, and then we lease it to the, the nonprofit. We set it up that way for a few different reasons. One of the biggest ones was – We were working through getting our tax-exempt status, our 501c3, in the middle of COVID. Mm. And uh, this property was on the market. We didn't want to lose the property, so... Um, basically what, you know, my story, and I, we talked about it before, but when I was working with Blackwater at the end of 2007 in Baghdad, I ripped my kneecap off, uh, while we were training at the crosswords, And that basically ended my career, <clears throat> but they put me on a retirement disability type of deal at the age of 25. And, um, I was making about 130, $140,000 a year between the VA and that and different things coming in all tax free when we decided to move forward with this and we did it based off of necessity, I've lost 24 guys that I served on the battlefield with the suicide, which is more than I lost on the battlefield. Uh, In 2019, I lost five guys within a 13 month span. And that's when we just, you know, I broke down to my wife and was like, there's more we can do. What what can we do? What can we do? So we took one lump sum uh, settlement on that money. And that's how I was able to raise the funds to purchase this property. Um, So then we took a a note out uh, through ag South. And then, when OpFab finally started to get some resources in, it was able to pick up the, the mortgage for us. Or not not the entire thing, but a, a good chunk of it. Um, so, obviously, a lot of the money goes towards that every month. And then every other penny that we have goes into operating costs. Um, and we do have two employees now. You guys met Grumpy Bill mm-hmm. and then Mark. They're uh, our veteran liaisons and groundskeeper, if you will. Um, but everybody else is 100% volunteer. Uh, my entire board, we got 11 people, all volunteers, um, including my wife and I, who put in about 120 hours combined a week uh, for OpFob. Then the advisory board, Juan is the chairman for the advisory board, and I know we're building that up. I think we're at around 12, 15 total people. Yeah. yep. For the advisory board, again, all volunteers. Um, so every penny that we do get goes a long way. We stretch it very, very far. Um, when veterans reach that front gate, They don't pay for a thing. We take care of their food. If they need hunting gear, if they need armament, they need ammo. We take care of everything for them once they cross that gate. And we're working with some different partners now. Um, Like JetBlue, they'll donate some uh, tickets and miles to us to be able to fly some people in. But, you know, I think we talked about the stats before. If you draw a a 90-minute driving circle radius around where we're sitting right now, there's over 120,000 veterans and over 30,000 active duty. So we don't have to go far to start reaching people as we call it in the military. We're in a target rich environment. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Now we've got goals. You know, we always set this thing up saying, okay, this will be the first one. But, you know, our goal initially was to have four or five of these, these things spread throughout the country. Well, as we've kicked this off and we got more steam and momentum behind us, there's a lot of organizations that are out there that we didn't even realize that were out there. They want to partner up with us. So instead of us going and trying to, you know, raise another couple million dollars to buy another piece of property, we're just going to start partnering up with different people in Montana, South Dakota, you know, these big hunting areas where we send veterans their way, they send veterans our way. And, you know,
2: I've got one in Kentucky for you. Oh,
3: well, there we go. So, <laughs> yeah. No coincidences, right? Yeah, that's it. It's we should. Uh, uh, we should.
2: Great. He's got a ton of land. It's a. It's it's a. It's the second poorest county in the United States, and so there's. It's nothing out there but meth, and and I mean, there's just nothing out there, and so he leases all this property because nobody lives out there, and it's a ton of it, and there's monster deers. The the buck. He, I filmed him shooting a buck. It was. I'm going to get the numbers wrong, but it was like two eighty like f- dressed wow yeah a big boy it's head. the biggest buck i've ever seen when he walked in he did this thud thing that they do for some reason all the deer there do it yep. like reared up and thudded like a horse and you could it went from the corn to the tree up the tree and into my seat i could feel it could feel it was nuts <laughs> <laughs> huge it's the biggest deer i've ever seen but anyway it's uh yeah, absolutely, because there's no reason to go and start all these things when you can partner with places that have beautiful property that you could already use, especially if your thing is is, is on the hunting side.
3: Yeah, absolutely. The, the biggest challenge we have is just getting the word out to these people that do have these different, whether it's an organization or just have some hunting land. You know, it goes back to um, this past week, I was having a couple conversations, and, you know, you guys see the news and what's going on in the world, and there's a lot of shit, and there's a lot of shitheads out there and bad people you know what? There's a lot of really good people too. There really are. There are a lot of patriots in this country. There's a lot of good out there. Um, And it's just getting our word and our message to them to let them know what we're doing for them to support us. Absolutely.
2: And I don't think you're going to have, I mean, it's, People don't know what they don't know, and that's, that's always going to be the problem. But I think it's it just takes time as word spreads. I mean, you're only a couple of years old, three years old, right?
3: July twenty third will be our three year anniversary. Yeah. so we're very young. So.
2: so it's it's good. It just takes time. Just but stuff will come out. And I told you, I don't know if you remember when I texted you. It's like because we met at SeaWee a couple of years ago, and we haven't talked since. Well, it was I don't remember if the first person, but somebody had said something and had said your name to me. Like, you ever heard of this guy? And I'm like, yeah, but it's a podcast with him at Seawee. And he was like, oh. And then I was at the VA dealing with some VA shit that I deal with. And there was a op-fob, a photocopy, a black and white photocopy of a brochure of yours sitting on the desk, like in the clinic. And the doctor, her, Dr. Rakestraw was her name. And I said, oh, you guys work with op And she like picked it up. And she's like, no, one of my clients brought, or one of my uh, patients brought this in. I haven't had a chance to read it yet. I was like, Weird that's in front of me again <laughs> and then i went somewhere else and it happened again and then i went to burnt church distillery doing bourbon stuff and i was like i gotta connect you with jr and i'm like all right so i came home and i told my wife i was like if it keeps <laughs> if you keep getting hit in the head with it you mm-hmm. gotta eventually address it so i reached out to you and i was like dude and then we did a whiskey tasting oh, that? yeah and the guy yeah. came up it was it's just so random it's like it, that never happened so As you said, I don't remember how you said it eloquently, but yeah. But that's the reason that we're here. Because I reached out and I was like, I want to do something. You know, I want to talk and and I want to do stuff in the future and I want to stick around and like see what we can do for each other. Definitely build something, but it's also good for me. I need this shit too. I need to come out here and there's nothing really that close to me where I live. So for me to come, it was like an hour and 10 minutes, which is nothing.
3: Yeah, man, this place is for you. And first and foremost, as a veteran, beyond all this other stuff that we can do together. You know, we just last week uh, had uh, Sean Adams out here, like I was telling you about. Um, Took the wrong step in Afghanistan, lost both of his legs. Um, And the year before that we had the lighting ceremony, we had Leroy Peachtree down here, uh, Medal of Honor recipient, lost his arm. And we tell these guys when they come down, like, bro, I don't care if you're missing your arm. I don't care if you've got a medal of honor. I don't care if you lost your legs. You're Sean, you're a Marine. And Mm. when you come out here, we don't want to use you for anything. Cause that's the thing. These guys get pulled in every different direction, whether it's political, financial, whatever it is. And it's like, dude, I don't even want to take a picture or anything like that. It's like, dude, just come down and be you. And and same goes for you, man. Cause we all need this. We we all need it. And it's it's just being part of that culture and, and having that team that, 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 um, the the camaraderie. Yeah, but what uh, the tribe? That's mm-hmm. what Ryan was talking about during his speech today. The tribe. This is our tribe. So this is for you, man. Whenever you want to come down, it's
2: something too. It's like people. I was talking to a friend of mine yesterday about MCs, and he's like, "I just don't get." It. He's active duty right now, and he's like, "I just don't. I don't get it." He's like a lot of my veteran friends are are in them, you know, the big fives, and uh, and I am like, "What it is is like you don't you don't see it because you are active duty." I was like, "But when you get out, you are gonna it's gonna hurt you all the time. You are gonna be like, I just don't." trust anyone i like there's no trust i don't have anybody i can you know fuck around with i just don't have it it's because our community our tribe that's what we had when we were in and when you get out you miss it and it's it's up to us to keep that together Mm -hmm. to continue to pursue it and to make sure guys know that that's out there because i think a lot of the suicide stuff is people don't have their tribe Mm -hmm. and um i know if i need to call somebody i got people i can call and i know I don't really want to go any further than that, but yeah. you understand. So yeah. your turn. I want to hear your story.
4: Well, I mean, um, for me, it wasn't just the tribe piece. It was the purpose. Um, you know, I served in the army for 10 years, uh, stationed at Fort Stewart in Georgia. I deployed a lot. Um, I was in second brigade, the Spartan, Spartan brigade. They were the most rapidly deployed brigade in my division. Um, so i seen the war Ooh, geez i was in kuwait for 10 months before the war kicked off in iraq uh so i was a part of oif 1357 in new dawn and i just got burnt out i got really burnt out um but while i was there you know i i made sergeant pretty quick and i just like training troops that was it i trained my soldiers i trained them to to replace me that's that's what i always told them you know i'm training you to replace me cuz someday I'm not gonna be here. I'm either gonna get out, retire, or I'm just not gonna be here. Um, and that that gave me that purpose. That gave me that drive to keep doing what I was doing. And uh, being being a sixty three Bravo back then as an all wheel mechanic, I believe they changed it to ninety one Bravo now. But being on the support side, you don't realize. Well, you know, you're a soldier first, then your your job second. And I found out pretty quick since I was good at running pushups and staying fit and just pushing my mind beyond anything. They put me in a security platoon. You know, I was out there being a gunner for, you know, some sergeant first class that I didn't know. But because I knew how to run the 50 cal, he's like, you're up in the dirt. So um, my first time going into combat in 03, I was in a deuce and a half and I was in a 50 cal ring. Sitting up there with the mod deuce and nothing else around me. I didn't even have a back plate. I had a front sappy plate. That was it. Um but you know, soft vehicle, sandbags on the floor. That was our armor. That was it. Um you start to look at life differently because now it's like you don't have anything, you don't have that protection. Now you're you're crossing into an unknown zone.
2: But, um, did you think about it like that when you were in that situation? Because I always wondered if guys, you know, the armor wasn't available. I did not know if you knew it, you should have it or you're like, this is just what it is.
4: Yeah. Um, you know, we thought about different things like, you know, being on the supply side, we have SNR, which is, you know, the welding shop, basically the recovery team and everything. So they have a lot of steel. You'd think that they'd be able to slap some steel on some equipment. But you got to think back then that those vehicles weren't rated for heavy steel or, you know, to carry a lot of extra weight. Um, those hubs on Humvees, everything, they, they go out pretty quick, especially when they're out there in the sand and in terrain that they're not normally driven in. Um, yeah, that's what they're built for. But when you're back here in the rear, you know, (laughs) they're, they're going through the forest, you know, they're driving on hardball, Uh, but, um, you know, it's, it's, yeah, it was a little troubling. I mean, when they told me, "Hey, you know, here's your here's your vest." I mean, I had a frag vest, and then they issued us the it the ITV or whatever it was. I, I don't know the first vest that you can put the your IMTV something. Mm-hmm. I'm I'm not sure what it was, but I mean, I'm running through the desert with this woodland camo, you know, <laughs> and I'm like, "Yeah, I'm good, I'm good." But uh, you know, my driver actually gave me his other plate. So I can have one in the front and the back. Um, and he was down in the deuce and just driving around. That was it. Um, so being a part of that, it was a little different. I mean, you think about a lot of different stuff. Um, how you're going to sleep, if you're going to sleep. You know, you're wide open. Um, there is a nervousness. But for me, my nervousness and my fear were not seeing my brother again. My brother was actually in the Marine Corps. And he was in Kuwait about the last, like, two months that I was there before we went into combat. So he and I actually broke the berm together. And I can tell you my mom was shitting elephants. No bricks, just elephants. (laughs) Um, But we're her two boys, and that was it. We're both over there. And, you know, I went to Baghdad International, and he went to Ramadi. That's where he did his stint, and, you know, he did his thing. And later I found myself... After getting to Baghdad, uh, we ended up going to Fallujah, and that place, ooh, it's interesting. Very interesting. Um, but you never let your guard down, and um, my first tour was, it was really eye-awakening. You know, um, When I got back, I didn't expect to go anywhere. I mean, I knew I was going to stay at Fort Stewart for a while, because I still had, I think, five years on my contract, so... um I just assumed I was gonna load up in a bus and go straight to the barracks. I wasn't married, I was a single soldier, you know. But I didn't know at the time that my mom, and my dad, they had pulled some money together and flew my mom out. So when I first got back in country, I'm walking over to get my duffel bags and my rucksack and there's my mom. Nice. So I didn't get to come home to just getting on the bus. I got I got home and I got to see my mom, which was which is great and mm-hmm. it's still a moment in my life that I cherish because I felt alone when I came back. I did, you know, you're, you're facing different things. You're doing things that you never thought were possible and you have to you shove it down deep, you know, and to see my mom, that was, that was a great feeling for me. And even to this day, I w- I won't tell my mom what I did or what I've done, I'll just tell her I just turned wrenches and I fixed vehicles. That's it. Um because I don't I don't want her to look at me any different. I'm still the same person. I just faced a lot of abnormal situations. And uh, there's no reason why I can't be normal. But um you know, after each tour got different. You know, my second tour out there I lost um I lost my uh my captain, Cap Gerbers. And uh, Specialist Hansi, they were our first, our first hits on the on the convoys. Um, at the time, my my best friend Mason and I were roommates, and we had a day down, and we just heard banging at the door. That was it, and uh, they came in and said, "Hey, convoy got hit. You guys got to spin up and go." And we found out before we left, and we were the QRF, so we. Before we left, they told us that we lost Captain Gerbis and Yancey had been evacuated out to the Baghdad hospital. Uh, he had lost his arm and took some heavy shrapnel to his head. Uh, Captain Gerbus lost both his legs and he didn't survive. Um, so we go out there, we secure the site. I mean, we're on, I think it was Route Irish and Brewers, pretty hot route and, um, you know, just sitting there. And I didn't understand how I was going to feel. I didn't know how I was going to feel, but I was angry. Like, every single person I seen that was on foot outside of my perimeter, I just I just wanted to hurt in a sense. Like, that's how I felt. You know, you took my brother. You took my family. Now I'm going to take you. Like, and I didn't understand those feelings. I really didn't. Um, my next tour in OIF5, oh, that was... So when I lost my best friend, that was my longest tour. They extended us out after 12 months, and um, there was this training exercise. And you know, you think about a bunch of different stuff, and you know, the training that we went through, you, you think about it being here in the rear. You know, you're no longer gonna have training scenarios when you're out in combat, and it's just Yeah, you get the onesies and twosies, like the sexual harassment stuff and NCODP and whatever, but you're not doing like hard scenarios out there because you're in combat, you think combat, you know, when you're training, you train, yeah, yeah, you train as you fight and you fight as you train, but uh, we had this training scenario where once again, I'm QRF and this time I'm, I'm, you know, the squad commander and. And I got all my guys, and uh, we're down. They wake us up and say, "Hey, second squad got hit. We got to spin up and we got to go recover them." So how bad? It's a catastrophic hit. Catastrophic hit means shit's done hit the fan. Like people are either dying, dead, vehicles are completely dismayed. It's the worst case scenario. So. We load up in our trucks. We get to battalion. We're up there in like 10 minutes. I mean, we're pre-staged in our vehicles already. All we got to do is throw our stuff on and drive up. Uh, we're waiting on Alpha Company to give us a a head to recover a vehicle, load up the 88 so they can recover said vehicle and also get the wrecker. So we got a bunch of equipment coming in, and uh, we're just waiting. We're waiting and waiting. Myself, um, my buddy Mason, our friend Fuller, we call him Fish, um, and uh, Hammond, call him Susio. Uh, we, all, we all been through that same scenario with Captain Gerbis and Yancey. And it was hard because we're like, you know, time is of of, of the essence. We got to get out there. So we look at everything, and I'm sitting there. I'm getting anxious, wondering what's going on. Alpha Company's still out there with the vehicles. I'm like, dude, we're QRF. We got to get out here fast. Uh, the battalion commander comes out with my uh, convoy commander. And my convoy commander has this look on his face like like he was kind of disgusted. Like he just walked in the bathroom and seen some fat chick shaving her legs or something. Like that's how disgusted he looked. And uh, my battalion commander and my battalion sergeant major just said index. And that sank my freaking insides. Like I've never felt so sick before. You're going to have that kind of training scenario in a combat situation. And, you know, with other soldiers who have been through that the prior to deployment and we're thinking the worst. And you want to come out and say index and go over our performance. Hey, Alpha Company could have been here quicker. Top flight. You were here when you needed to be, if not sooner. So my guy spoke up. I told him to shut up. Sergeant Major pulled me aside and said a few words. I just looked at him and said, "Hey, you don't know how it feels." Yeah, I'll take care of him. So um, they moved my buddy Mason and Susio to a uh, MIT team, and they were out somewhere else, and I was on another mission. And uh, you know, you know those those moments where something, you know, something's gonna happen. Like the sky was gray. We were just it was kind of weird. I was a gunner at that time. And um, I just remember the air being real, real like weird. It was almost like a humid, humid weather. Clouds. I had a vehicle coming straight at us, and you know, he veered towards us. I dropped the the two forty Bravo in his face and just, you know, pointed at him, and he veered off the road. I get back to Kalsu, and uh, the the company commander comes over the net says hey we need palacios up here at the talk I'm like god damn it what did i do this time you know i didn't shoot at the guy like i just pointed at him he got out of the way um but when we got up to to the talk i remember pulling my 240 down putting it inside the truck grab my m4 and hopping down onto the hood of the the truck and my one of my buddies mccluskey was there, and McCluskey's. He wasn't even on our fob. He was, like, way somewhere else in Iraq. I'm like, what the hell is he doing here? So he's like, hey, man, let me take your weapon for you. Dude, you don't need my weapon. Why? Oh, no, no, I just wanted to help you out. Okay, well, you can help me out by just telling me why you're here and not grab my shit. So I'm walking down the hallway in battalion, and all the doors are closed that are normally open. And uh, I see Captain Let. Um, she's a very, very wonderful person. She's always been, you know, good to the platoon, to our security platoon and just the personnel. And, uh, she comes out and she says, she's so sorry. I was like, what, what are you talking about? She's like, oh my God, you don't know. She goes back into her office, close the door. So I make it to our briefing room and I very vividly remember my first aren't sitting down in a swivel chair, my captain leaning up against a table. My platoon aren't standing up, and my roommate standing up, and uh, they have me put my weapon in the weapons rack, and I sit down. my My roommate sits right next to me, and uh, I'm like, "Dude, what's going on?" They're like, "Ah, don't worry, we're gonna talk here in a minute." And uh, my company commander just looks at me and says, "Hey, uh, we lost Mason." I'm like, "Okay, well, let's get a team together and we'll go find him." I was like, "How hard is that gonna be?" He's like, "No, you don't understand." It's like we lost Mason, and then it kind of hit me where that's how I knew like what had happened. But I also realized why McCluskey was there. Um, that's the longest walk I've ever made in the desert, from from my talk to my room. And I remember when I came back from R and R. I seen Mason like that same week and we talked dude and you know in the in the end it's like we talked we we shared some stories we gave each other a hug and said strength and honor and I told him to get back safe so we can bullshit some more and that was the last time I seen him um I had never met his mom before never until I came back from that deployment, and it seemed like she knew me my entire life because she he had shared everything about me to her, and to this day I call her every Mother's Day, call her every Christmas, and every every time his his time comes up, I I give her a call, and uh, I would say one of the hardest things I had to do when I was in was. Being told you got 10 minutes to speak, one page to write down what he meant to you. That was still to this day, I hope I, I said enough. You did.
2: And, I wasn't um, there, but you did.
4: But, um, you know, combat isn't easy. It's, it's not easy for anybody, whether you're, you know, on the special forces side or, you know, the supply side, the combats. It doesn't matter, man. We all go through different things. Hell, I didn't expect to be in combat scenarios where I was going to be firing my weapon or looking for explosive ordnance. I mean, God bless you, EOD. I mean, I got, we got attached to a Navy EOD unit, and that's all we did was just go poke and prod. And I'm like, man, this isn't my job, but here I am. Um, but after all, you know, like, like JR said, it's no coincidence. And um, first day I came out here, I met this guy. And we shared a little bit about each other and come to find out we were in theater at the same time. And we were crossing the same roads. He was coming to my my FOP. He was coming to Cal Sioux. Man, I used to get shot at by snipers all the time when I come to those clearing barrels. Yeah, yeah, that was a big problem. But that immediately linked me to, to him. And it just made that brotherhood and that bond even stronger. So the last almost, I'm going to say, four years of my life, met a wonderful girl that I've, I'll be with 4 years in July, 3 years here at the fob in July. If I had not have met her, I wouldn't know about the fob and I wouldn't know about myself because between her and this place. Man, I can complain all day, but I'm not going to because I'm here and the grass is greener on the other side for me. So if I'm walking proof that you can make it through anything, that's what I'm going to share I've been down My suicide wasn't picking up a gun And trying to do something Mine was drinking heavily Getting into my car and driving Not caring if I'd hit another car And kill a family Or run off the road and kill myself That was my suicide And I'm thankful for For JR I'm thankful for my girl I'm thankful for my son And he's 16 He'll be 17 this year and he sees me going through these things, but you know what? He still he still respects me and he still loves me. And that man, that's what's going to get me through all of this. And if that can get any anybody else through it, man, I'm all for it. So that's what this place means to me. And that's a little bit about my story. So Thank Sorry, didn't mean to that. talk too much. Yeah, no, no that's
3: didn't. all man.
1: You Thank you for
2: sharing. Thank you for sharing that. It's um it's important that places like this have stories like that that can be shared, and people can see that there's more to this. You know, this isn't this isn't a money grab where somebody's getting rich and getting seven hundred thousand dollars a year in salary, like a lot of these veteran charities do. And it makes me sick when I see it. Yeah, it's um, we know people that are involved and some of them, and <clears throat> they have these huge dinners, and famous people are there, and you know they're paying them to be there, and it's just a a clout festival. And this guy's getting this massive paycheck every year. And they're like, oh, well, we see them help people. It's like, okay. But it's like when I go to places like this where it's, it's volunteer and people are like the money's going where it should be going, you meet people like you that have a story that needs something like this. You're not doing this for the clout. You're doing it because you need it. Mm-hmm. That's the whole point.
4: I'm doing it because he did something for me that I'll never be able to repay. JR, I think that's the first time we golfed together. We were golfing and I shared a story with him and later on that night he called me up and said, dude, I got something for you and we took care of me and um, didn't just take care of me, took care of my girlfriend and took care of my son and, and it was here. So that's something I can never repay, but I will re- repay with my blood, sweat and tears here on this ground to help veterans and everyone else that comes after me. So I'm in this for the long haul. And if I ever got lucky, dude, you know, dude, the first thing that would happen, we'd go grab a drink, and then I'd pay off the fob.
3: <laughs> I know we need to get everybody to yeah, start playing I'd, a lot of. I'd send you yeah. to
4: vacation too. I'd send you on a vacation,
3: probably San Francisco or something like that, I don't know. <laughs> with my Bud Light. Yeah, definitely. So the fob um, he's talking about, Cal Sue, and where I was, it was Fobas Candareia normal conditions it's maybe 15 20 minute drive yeah, it's not far at all iraq you know oh five war time i mean it'd take a couple hours to get there but we literally were right in the same ao so when we first met you know what he was talking about um we just started oh i was here this time and this time so no shit we were literally in each other's ao crossing over each other the entire time and um that was the first kind of experience i'd have had out here personally with somebody that I didn't know, but it was in the same AO, dealing with the same shit at the same time. But now, almost three years into this, how many times have we seen that with different people that had served, you know, right down the road at another FOB or, or yep. you know, around the same Hey, you remember when this happened? You remember when that happened? And that's what this place is about is to bring those guys back together, man. It's we're, That's why we're the FOB. We're we're op FOB. We're yep. not FOB Iskandaria or FOB Kalsu. This is fricking up, fob and nobody's shooting at us now. Now we can yeah. <laughs> enjoy each other's company and, yep. you know, and, and lean on each other when we need it.
2: I love that. Cause most civilians don't know what that means. Like for, for me to run into somebody that was where I was in Afghanistan, it doesn't matter what, who you are, what you look like. It, it, it doesn't matter. It's like, dude, brother, remember, you know, yep. you've been here. Remember that? Remember this place? Remember that bridge? Did you ever go over that bridge? You know, it's, <laughs> it's like, and you know, it's, there's no one in the world that you can meet and have that connection with. It's right. yep. Iraq is a big place. Afghanistan is a big place. And it's like people talking, like the guy here, uh, was it bad? Ryan? Yeah, Ryan He's, Rogers. Yeah. yeah. He was talking about Hellman. Never made it down there. I know it's sandy. Like <laughs> I was up in the mountains. I was in the Hindu Kush mountains. Beautiful place. Mm-hmm. But it's like, okay, we were in Afghanistan together. But if he was like, yeah, Kunar, Afghanistan, I'd be like, dude, let's have a <laughs> talk. Did you ever make it to Hanukkah miracle? Right. Did you go to the Ganjigal? You know, you start having these conversations. And mm-hmm. yeah, it's definitely a cool part of it.
3: And that's where the therapy happens, man. You know, I I get there's a need for medication for some veterans and X, Y, and Z. um, But, you know, I'm living proof of talking about it with like-minded individuals will save your life. It truly does. There's something that gets that elephant off your chest. It it takes a little of that anxiety away to know that, you know, you're talking to a dude that, that knows that smell. Yeah. Knows that grit in your teeth, knows that sound, you know, and, you know, to be able to talk to them about your experience, you know, rather than talking to a VA doctor or civilian doctor who in my, I think they have nothing but the great, you know, good intentions for our veterans, but they're reading out of a a script book of, okay, well, I should say this. And if they say this, that's bullshit. And, you know, like you're sitting with another veteran and I remember that, yeah, yeah, motherfucker, you know, and just, that's where the therapy happens for us out here, you know? For sure. And then, again, you know, we've got different resources for those other people that need those things um, that we can refer people out to. But it's just that just that natural, I don't want to say good old boy, but, you know, it is. You know, it's that, because we, we do get a lot of females out here as well, but just, it is that, that brotherhood of just I shoot think, the same dirt around the same time.
4: Yeah, I think it's just the the way to kind of start to break down that barrier that's put up, you know, talking to somebody, meeting them. Yeah, that's cool. But when you guys share similar stories or have been in the same place, then all of a sudden that guard that they put up is, it's kind of lowering, you know, and then the next time they come out, they might say, Hey, you know, do you want to go to the range or, Hey, can you take me over to the fishing pond? And all of a sudden they're saying, Hey man, I'm dealing with something. Do you mind if I open up to you? And that's, that's what it's about. You know, that's what, that's what we're here for. You know, we want people to talk. We want you to open up. We don't want you to feel like you're just an outcast or not a part of the place because you are. And all it takes is that first step, man. And that's getting out of your way. So once you get out of your way and you you finally say, okay, man, I'm going to say something. Man, life is great. Life is great. And you can change anybody you can change someone's life by just smiling at them dude i always think about um like they have the like memes and stuff online and all that but i vividly remember this one where this guy's holding this sign and it just says if you were looking for a sign this is it and that's what it is we're all holding up that sign here at the gate saying if you're looking for it this is it and that's when people can decide to change their lives you know so
2: the thing about these organizations that or doing things like this with other veterans is when you're not involved in this, there's a lot of, I'm going to say how I used to be. I used to be the guy that would go to a bar and I see a guy wearing a nine line shirt. And I'm like, he doesn't even know what a nine line is. You know, it's, he doesn't know what a nine line or he's wearing a, you know, insert veteran brand shirt. And I'm just like, and so you can hear him over there running his mouth, talking about shit that we know is not real. That's not how that works. You didn't do that. And then I don't ever say anything. I just sit there and my wife's like, cause I used to say stuff and she'd be like, are you going to like, you're not crazy. Like she can, she can smell it now. She knows when guys are full of shit and a lot of them are. And so when I first got involved, we were sitting at a camp around a fair, around a fire and there was a guy running his mouth. And I'm just like, and halfway through his story, he points at me and goes, I can tell you don't like me. I was like, I like everybody, man. I'm fine. I'm just, you know, I got the, I have RBF or whatever. And so, uh, the guy that runs the charity pulled me aside and was like, a couple of days later, and was like, listen, it doesn't matter. None of just matters. It doesn't matter what they did. doesn't matter where they've been. doesn't matter where you've been. doesn't matter what you've done. None of it matters. What matters is we're standing here today. We all signed the line. We all did something. We all experienced something. And these people need help. He's like, you need help. We all need help. He's like, so quit looking at it like he's lying. It doesn't matter if he's lying. He's like, I can sit here and lie to you all day. Does that mean you're not going to like me? I'm like I, I don't know. I may not trust you. was like I don't need you to trust me. I need you to help me. And then and that's when I'm like, okay, I get it. I get what this is, and, I, and this is very important because people need it, and especially making awareness of it and the, keeping a fire going for 22. That's gonna be rough. If it starts raining, you got to move that thing somewhere. <laughs> and it ain't you raining, stay up. you ain't training. If you if you're burned a fire night, <laughs> you burn a fire at night, yes, true. You burn a fire at night; the thing's dead in the morning. Somebody's got to be there doing it, you know. And it's and it's it's a lot of commitment and motivation. And I like the idea of it, and I like the way that it's pushing forward. and And I hope that it brings a lot of awareness to it. Um, I don't know the answer. I mean, if anybody did, we'd 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 none of us that do. Key and bottle it up. But right. I think camaraderie is definitely part of the part of the recipe. Yeah,
3: I mean, dude, do, do, three days. You know, when I I was in Iraq, I was in a gunfight. Three days later, I'm at home I'm on my mom's couch. Yeah. Three days, you know, and that's the difference, I think, of, of our wars that we fought, you know, post 9-11 compared to the other wars, you know, and it's just, you know, to be able to turn it on and turn it off, you can't, you, you just can't, and back to what your point was is, I I truly believe the only reason I made it through all the situations that I did in the three years that I spent in Iraq was because of my team. And all of a sudden, you come home and you got no team. Yeah. You know, and, you know, for me, I moved back to, you know, my hometown and tried to go back to my old team, my my high school degenerates that, you know, were (laughs) doing the same shit, you know, when we were in high school. And, uh, you know, you you just, they don't understand you. You don't understand them. And it's no good. And so to be able to have a place and I don't care if it's opfob, I don't care if it's whatever organization, you know, just, just find an organization. If you're a veteran out there, find an organization, find your tribe. There's a lot of us out there, a lot of like-minded individuals and, and just have the balls, find the courage to pick up the phone, write an email, reach out to one of these organizations and become part of it and get involved. There's nothing more fulfilling in your life than to help another brother that's going through a lot of shit. You know, there truly is
2: do you think that the do you think that it ever ends like because we all struggle with it? Just call it elephant in the room do you think it ever goes away or you just learn to live with it no, you learn it's to push a coping it
4: away. thing it's a coping thing i mean it's not, it's never gonna go away, but it'll be there it's it's how you deal with it it's It's the difference of knowing when you're about to have anxiety or you're putting yourself or walking into a situation where all of a sudden you know before you would snap. And now you're realizing what the scenario is and you're like, all right, I'm calm. And you walk yourself through it. And then all of a sudden you change your pace, you know, Um, but it is coping. You're never going to get rid of it. I'll never get rid of it. You won't. But you know what? Meeting other veterans and working through it together and and on your own. I mean, you're going to make it, you know, you're going to you're going to find a solution.
1: Lean on each other.
4: Exactly.
3: And and now, you know, we're starting to see there's a new wave of veteran suicide. There's these dudes that, that joined the military four or five years ago when we we're, you know, fighting ISIS and Afghanistan's still pretty kinetic and they come in, you know, come out of high school or college and man, I wanna I wanna go be a, a war fighter. So I'm gonna sign my name at the dotted line. I'm gonna go through X, Y, and Z training. And then all of a sudden, they make it through their four or five years. They didn't deploy. They didn't do shit that they were training for, and that they thought. So now they get out of the military thinking, well, "I didn't get to fulfill my mission, you know, my inner mission of everything that I I signed that dotted line for." And now these guys, these kids are, you know, are turning to it, you know, and like, "Well, shit, I couldn't do this, and so let me go blow my head off." Like, oh man, you know, everybody's experience is different, and you know, we treat everybody the same here. If you signed your name on that dotted line. As long as you did to the best of your ability what the government asked you to do at that time, then you're more than welcome to come here. You're part of our tribe. You're part of our family.
2: For sure. Do you think that the like it's it's such a specific thing, the suicide that is. Do you think it it's something that the military? Because I always have my theory on it is that like they gave me an M9 Beretta. What are you going to do with that? And I was in mountain warfare, and they give it to you and they're like you carry this on your hip at all times, like even when I'm, I mean forever. And they like, yeah. I'm like, for what? You know, they're, I can't even hit them with my AR. That's how, or my M4, that's how far away they are. Mm-hmm. What am I carrying this thing for? And they're like, just carry it. And then eventually you figure it out. Like you start seeing the guys strung up on bridges and they're burning them alive and all this stuff. And you're like, oh, now yeah. I get what that's for. So you wear that thing for 10 months. You think, I, that's what my theory is. My theory is you get so comfortable with it because for every day for 10 months, you're like, well, put my uh suicide pistol on and, mm-hmm. and go on it, you know, you just it becomes nothing. Do you do you think it's do you think there's a source of it like that or it's something else?
3: You know, I never really thought about that, but I mean it's hundred percent. Now you, you, you kind of open my mind to it, uh something new. Um
2: That's how I cope with it. Yeah. Because I'm like it's 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 because I was comfortable with it. Mm-hmm. I was comfortable with the the idea of it because it's like I'm not gonna get
3: Captured. No, no, not you're gonna not going to see me in an orange jumpsuit. Won't
2: happen. No. You're not going to cut my head off on, on TV.
3: No. If you're going to, I'm going to be dead already. Yeah. You're going to kill me or I'm going to take care of it myself. Yeah. yeah.
2: So I think that I know that that's what <clears throat> my odd being like comfortable with it. That's as I know, that's where it came from. But it also helps me knowing that because I can look at it and go, that was a weird part of your life, dude. That That's not forever. Right. That's just like you needed to know that it was okay for, for a year. Okay, now, you know, we're thinking about that shit. Put it away. I don't know. I just wondered if other people thought of it that way because, you know, we never really go that deep on the conversation when we talk about it.
3: Better I never really it. thought about that. I'm going to definitely put some thought into yeah. it. Um, I think you bring a, a good point. You know, I think the biggest thing is just what we've been talking about, the the camaraderie, that, that team aspect of, of having those dudes around you all the time to get you. I mean, you think about it, you know, uh, we've all got different stories but i was able to make it through the 3 years that the things that we were doing because of the the dudes that i had around me and i mean we make light of the most disgusting things in the world <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. yeah i mean and you have to dude you, you know bodies laying here brain yeah. matter here and, you know heads and and you just oh look at that mother he had a bad day you know and just cracking jokes and and it might sound disgusting to most people but that's how you cope with it at the time to get through it. And then all of a sudden you come back home Man, I went uh, to Syracuse university on the GI bill. I'm a junior going to school with a bunch of 20, 19, 20 year old kids. And I, I start cracking jokes and people are just like, what's wrong. Fuck is (laughs) wrong with this guy. Why are his (laughs) eyes so weird? (laughs) You know, it's like, well, you guys don't think that's funny. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, No, no. So I do. I think, I think it's the, the tribe, the camaraderie, um, and we are, uh, you know, uh, I would even take it a little bit farther now, a couple of seconds to think about it. We get comfortable with death. Yeah. We get, com- you get comfortable with death over there. Cause you see it all the time. Yeah. You know, constant yeah. every day you're, you're seeing whether it's the good side or the bad side, the civilians Somebody in, the stuck middle, in the middle, you Yeah, you know, and that for me, that, that that's my personal war it was just, you know, I, I joined uh, the Marine Corps right after nine eleven. Oh, I went, I was in the delayed entry program already in Oh one, I graduated in Oh one. That I shipped out to boot camp right after 9 11 a month after and I, I I truly wanted to join to go do bad things to bad people every round that I sent down range that that went into or towards a bad guy I don't lose sleep at all I, I truly don't like you're doing bad things to me I want to do bad things to you
2: the wrong the mark in that wrong house though
3: that's the civilians man yeah. and that's you know people just there's nothing great about war there's nothing good that comes out of war. I mean, you look at what we just did in Iraq and Afghanistan, and then we just left both of those fucking places. Yeah. <laughs> just like, we, you know, it's like, what the hell was this all for? And especially, you know, we can have a whole nother conversation about yeah. fricking the withdrawal of, of Afghanistan and what a yeah. debacle that was. But, you know, what's it all for? And and it's the, the civilians that get stuck in the middle of it. You know, that's, you know, we, we saw a lot of that. Now, Iraq and Afghanistan were completely different war fronts. But, you know, where I was in my AO... We were dodging IEDs and, and, and uh, car bombs more than we were, you know, getting into firefights and ambushes like that. You know, we fought against a bunch of pussies yeah. that just wanted to blow us up or maybe take a few couple pop shots at us and then go run away, yeah. you know. And um,
2: and y'all had those copper ones. What were they called? E- uh, uh, EFPs. 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 Yeah.
3: They started coming in, yeah, when I was with BW over there. Um, rough, rough. It is, yeah. They just, man. I, I've, I'm so glad those didn't come all out. The, years, yeah. All the EFPs, the daisy chains, like you'd
4: find one, and there's four more behind you because they knew your TTPs. They knew you were going to stop x number of meters away, and you know you're going to space out. So they started chain linking them back, back behind that. So
2: was everything there the the anal ammonium nitrate
3: aluminum? Well, they were using whatever they could get, man. Yeah, yeah. I, mean, yeah. I was a bomb dog handler over there, so I remember. yeah. Know, yeah. We, 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 they were using anything they could get, but now let me ask you this: Somebody, Russia, comes and invades this country. What are we going to be doing?
1: I heard this conversation the other day that <laughs> these, uh, these these countries that that talk about the idea of of putting boots on on the ground in the United States, I, they fail to realize that we have an entire generation, two generations almost, of people who spent the better part of twenty years studying how to conduct and defend an insurgency, how to build roadside bombs. And that population owns over 50% of the firearms in the entire world. You can do a lot with fertilizer in your own urine. Let's <laughs> <Yeah, laughs> put it out there. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, that, that'd be a big mistake.
3: We'd be doing the same thing, though. Of yep, course, absolutely. You know what I mean? I'm gonna. Yeah. You're wearing a uniform, you're, you invade my country, and I'm blowing you up. I'm doing whatever yep. the hell I can to get yep. you, you the hell There's out no of There's no rules. There's no rules, not at all. So you can't blame half of them. Yeah. It was just a, a few you know, select you know, groups, you know, Zarkawi and those people running around, getting yeah. everybody all fired up. And um yeah. They were also
2: I, snatching dudes' daughters and being like, You'll get your daughter back when you put this bomb in the in the road. Oh, yeah. And it's like they have no choice. Yeah.
3: Man, multiple car bombs, uh, we would see the driver would fucking have his hands either duct taped or fucking wired yeah. to the steering wheel. And they would. They would fucking have their kids or their family, which I'm sure they executed anyways, yeah. but I mean as a father if i had you know the choice between you know or do i go drive this fucking car into a, a convoy or, or and take the chance that they might be able to be saved or or we all just get slaughtered right here and they're going to slaughter them and rape them in front of me before they do me yeah i'm driving and, and that i'm truck. driving that fucking truck man yep. yeah good luck so it's just there's you know it's just nasty it's, it's nasty
2: yeah that's uh, what ryan said to his closing statement was something like um we shouldn't be doing this like we shouldn't be killing each other that's not It's never the correct answer, and and, I don't remember exactly how he said it, but it's like it kind of rings true. It's like, yeah, war shouldn't be a thing, but unfortunately it is, and there's people that have to go do it. I'm glad I went with the people I went with.
3: I'm proud. Yeah, I mean. Me too. I'm not proud of everything I did. There's a lot of things that I I do lose sleep over, but I'm proud as hell that, you know, at the time – when I think our country needed, you know, patriots the most, I fucking rose my hand, and I'm like, okay, where are we going? What are we doing? And um, you know, I think that this country is full of a lot of those people. Yeah, you know, a lot of good people, for sure.
2: All right, thank you for giving us over an hour of your time. I know that you have a ton of people here, and people who got to shake hands and kiss babies today. So, I <laughs> shake won't, babies. Uh, what? Shake babies. <laughs>
3: <laughs> well, we appreciate you guys coming down, and this definitely won't be the first. You guys are more than welcome to come back whenever, and um, keep bringing some bourbon down. Oh yeah, yeah, I can yeah. definitely do that. Definitely.
1: That's not a problem.
2: <laughs> I got my watch tonight for six to ten, so you'll be able to find me over there, and I'll have plenty of whiskey with
3: me. So, all right. Well, thank you, fellas, again, man, for everything. Thank yeah, you. yeah, thank, yeah you thank you guys you. very much. Yeah, thank you. It's great meeting you, Juan. You as well. He's our only one on actually that's a true
4: story. He's number one. <laughs> I am the only one on the FOP. Number one. So <laughs> Number yeah. one. So when you hear that joke, the only one, that's That's here. here. That's here. <laughs> that's
2: me. Yeah. Hell yeah. All right, cheers boys. Thank you. All right, yeah. Salute. Gentlemen.